0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is David Mirikitani with Matt Chat. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined from Colorado Springs, the head coach of Arizona State University, Zeke Jones. Coach, thanks for carving some time out for us today.
1: Yeah, Dave, glad to be on, look forward to chatting.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I got a chance to talk to you for more than a few minutes in Lincoln and really enjoyed it, and with world. With the World Championships coming up and your history and all that, you seem like the perfect guy to have on at this time. So, um, lots of questions to get to. I guess my first one is, how did you get started in wrestling?
1: Wow, that's uh, that's you're taking us all the way back. It's uh, <laughs> it, 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 well, it's you know it's, it's a it's an awesome story for me. My I was five years old and my brother Johnny wrestled at Iowa State on a national championship team in 1976. Wrestled with Pete Galea, Joe Gus Pan, Kelly Ward, Bob Adonacci. I mean, it was an excellent team, Mike Land. And they came through, uh, you know, my brother wrestled there two years. He was a two-time junior college national champ at Schoolcraft College in Michigan.
0: My dad when remembers there, he, My dad remembers his uh, Yeah. Those yeah. yeah, you
1: got to go back to our dads to be able to remember <laughs> when my brother Johnny, Johnny Russell And so Johnny wrestled, uh in what spurred him to be a wrestler, because my dad didn't wrestle, was a guy named Ernie Gillum. Ernie Gillum was on a national championship team at Iowa State in 1965, graduated the year Gable came in. um, And so he... Lost to Rick Sanders in the NCAA Finals, and you might have to go back to your grandfather on that one. And, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so, so between Ernie Gillum, who was a gifted physical education teacher who had many all-Americans come through his program in high school, but then you know my brother really was passionate about the sport, and I just grabbed his passion.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was doing some research and I saw Ernie Gillum's name as one of your coaches. And I remember that name from talking to my dad. And my dad was an Iowa State guy. And it's interesting, those connects, because uh, he he my dad started coaching junior college in 1970. And I remember, you know, when I was old enough to understand, he told me about uh, your brother. So that's that's really cool. Um, I know you're a Michigan guy, so you know I read your I read your career. I know you're a state champion and things like that. How did Arizona State end up getting you as opposed to staying closer to home at like Michigan or Michigan State or some of the other places historically in the Midwest? How, how did you come to that decision?
1: Now, sure, I actually grew up in Ann Arbor.
0: That's what I saw. Yeah,
1: I want to say that my senior year in high school, Michigan, I think finished fifth, maybe sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth, I and mean, then. NCAA tournament and they were excellent. Um Dale Barr was coaching at the time and the program was excellent. And I think what pulled me was was a couple things. One, Ernie Gillum had a very strong relationship with Bobby Douglas, um, which was number one. Number two, Bobby Douglas was the Olympic coach and my aspirations to not only be the best in the country to but become the best in the world. I uh, wanted to wrestle for a coach that was working at that level. And, um, you know, three, maybe it was a little bit of wanting to get away from home, experience something new. Uh, Ann Arbor was a tremendous place to grow up. I had all the advantages of being around an excellent university. A lot of my friends' parents were faculty members at the school, at the university, as well as, you know, watching a guy, Joe McFarland. You know, Joe was, call it a junior in college, senior maybe, when I was a junior in high school, senior in high school. And, uh, you know, he put some hands on me pretty tough. And, you know, I wasn't wasn't ready for him. I certainly wasn't ready for him. He kicked my butt all over the mat. But it was really, um, you know, getting the opportunity to lay the foundation. Growing up in Ann Arbor was excellent. The opportunity to wrestle at Arizona State for Bobby Douglas was kind of that icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, the weather probably didn't hurt too much either, I would guess, on the recruiting business.
1: And I can tell you right now, the weather is one of the most important factors. When I was uh, when I was coming out of high school, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what palm trees and eighty degree winters are like. Been, you know, you vacation in Florida and you think, wow, this is beautiful, but if you don't make the connection on how big it is. The weather to wrestle in in a warm climate environment where in December it's sunny out and you're in your flip flops and shorts going to practice and Bobby Douglas has got us running outside and up the stairs, <laughs> where everybody, you, you know, you guys are all tromping through the snow. So a lot less going so to get sick and the flu and all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah you, you just, you just don't know that when you're 18 making a decision. Uh But now with internet and technology, we we show the kids when East Coast gets a snowstorm, we're always sending pictures back to our to our recruits to make sure they know.
0: It's Yeah, I talked to Pendleton at Lincoln, and I know he's a big social media guy, and we'll get into him, but that was he was talking about things like that and the Cuba trip and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I imagine that's a very, very important part of your guys' recruiting process. So I came out of high school, and Arizona State was one of the schools I wanted to go to, and they signed Wayne McMinn at the same way, and I ended up at Iowa State. But I'd heard one of the attractions of Arizona State, besides the weather and the co-eds, was Coach Douglas. And, I've, you know, he's a legend. I'm, I'm sure he – I don't want to say did he have an impact on your life. What – how did he impact you? How do you – when you speak today, how do you, you know, sometimes when you look back on it, hear yourself echoing what Coach Douglas uh, taught you or, or led you to learn?
1: Well, you know first off, he's got the highest i q in the sport he um he doesn't use much brain power on any anything else He <laughs> focused all on on his technique and his wrestling yeah. he's decided to follow his brain on understanding the sport, how to teach it. He's an educator right he's uh, understands physical education, exercise physiology right. so he can map out numbers, understand how to teach a skill um, the learning process and and then breaking down the foreigners, understanding international competition, knowing what it takes to be the best in the world and, and, and win national titles too. And so, you know, I was very fortunate to have expert coaching my whole life, but certainly kind of finishing it off with the master, right, the guy that really has, you know, maybe outside of I or Dan Gable has probably produced more Olympians and World team members than just about
0: anyone. And this coaching tree is gigantic. Like you're saying, not just the athletes, but the guys that have gone on. I mean, I had uh, Cody Sanderson on a month or two ago, and the same way he spoke of, of Coach Douglas, just in the most reverent of terms. So uh, you guys won the Nationals in 1988 at in Iowa State, correct?
1: Yeah, it was in Ames. Oh, no, it was in State College. Or it was in... College Park, Maryland. Uh, The year before, I think, in Ames, was it the year before maybe Iowa State won it? I think we won it in State College, or uh, College Park, I believe.
0: Okay, I must be confused, because that was my senior year, and I could have swore that was the year, maybe I'm getting mixed up, I'm getting old, but that was when Bannock wrestled Douglas, or wrestled Schultz, and all those guys. So, anyway, during your college career, I know you were a three-time All-American, national runner-up, but I... I I see a parallel, and maybe I'm completely wrong. I want to ask you about this. I had Randy Couture on, and I know you guys are friends, about uh, two, three weeks ago, and he told me that if he had won the national title or made the Olympic team, he probably wouldn't have fought, that he would have just gone on and done some regular things in life. Now, I might be wrong because you said your goal was always to be the best in the world, but Did not winning an NCAA title help fuel you to even have bigger dreams internationally, or or what kind of impact did it have on you?
1: Well, it certainly uh, was a very disappointing moment from a goal that mattered tremendously to me. Uh, But I can also say what you just said. It definitely fueled the fire uh, because, Literally, uh, you know, that year I wrestled Jack Griffin again, who had beat me in the NCAA finals and beat him in the, in the nationals, as well as wrestled in the finals of the Olympic trials to make the Olympic team and, and ultimately medal. Uh, it's heartbreaking, but probably one of the most important and best things in some ways that ever did happen to me.
0: For for those of us that haven't wrestled at that level, I mean, like, you know, we've had guys, you know, guys lost in the state finals or things like that, but... To be as good as you are, to be an NCA finalist, and to come up short, how do you turn that disappointment, that frustration, you know, any negative emotion you want to tie to it? How do you turn it into something positive?
1: Well, it's like anything, you know. Brandon Slay likes to use the "failing forward" comment. I mean, I think it's just really understanding when you're making mistakes. Um, You know, it's not always about the outcome and being the national champ, the World Olympic champ. Of course, that matters when you're doing it. But most importantly is every match you wrestle, no matter if it's the biggest or the smallest, learning has to occur. And if you're a master learner, understanding how to learn, how to improve through competition, because a lot of guys are competing. I was always competing year-round. So did it say, all right, for the next six months, I'm not going to compete. I'm only going to learn. Mm-hmm. The best learners learn while they're competing, which means you're always in a competition cycle. So when you're in this competition cycle, how are you learning? A lot of it's coming from getting beat or not just in a match, but in a position or in a hold. Um, you know, are you improving? So. Uh, a lot of times I turn my anger to getting beat in a position. I can't believe he finished that single on me. He got, turned my toe out and I need to rip his finger back to take him off my toe. Don't let him stand up, stuff his head. I'll never let him do that again. You know, the language is important in how your brain rationalizes the loss. And I think that's probably the most important thing anyone can do. And I think that was something I, I teed in on and I think it helped me.
0: That phrase you just said, I'm actually writing it down because I'm always, you know, I'm trying to get better myself. The language and how your brain rationalizes a loss. I mean, that's that's I know to you, it just seems normal. That's really next level. Um, You know, just the like using that word rationalization, I think, is critical because, you know, otherwise it just eats and eats and eats at you and you don't get anything positive out of it. So. What, where did you learn to be that intellectual about about losses?
1: You know, I, I can't tell you. I think I was just lucky. I mean, you know, I grew up in the Warriors Wrestling Club when I was a little kid. And when I was five years old, the, the, we had practice at the University of Michigan. Um, Trisha McNaughton, Trisha Saunders was a five-time world champ. We grew up in the same neighborhood together. Uh, many all-Americans and national champions around i think you just learning occurs sometimes just through osmosis thing in the environment my first little kids coach
0: mm-hmm. was
1: mark johnson mark oh, johnson gosh. Right. yeah that was my first little kids coach now wow. man, you don't know anything your mom takes you to practice your dad takes you to practice and you just listen you don't know the ex- expertise of the coaching you have so it probably just came through listening and learning and soaking up the in, information and environment but I just, I'd say probably, whether it was anger, learning, or just love and passion, like I can't believe you just took me down out of that <laughs> leg attack. That was nice. Right. I want you to get back on this leg again. I want you to get back on this leg again because I, want, I want to see if you can do that again to me. It, right? I mean, I love you it. Know how yeah. it is. No, I do. Yeah, so the, 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 <laughs> he showed you to do that. It was a big smile on his face if you ever scored on him. I mean, because nobody was really scoring on him. So when sure. he finally got scored on him, it did make him mad. It made him happy. It got him excited. Yeah. So I think Man, I love it when you score on me. That's
0: fun. <laughs> you know, then I, I, was, know? I was really loving life my freshman year of college in Iowa State because I was getting yeah. That's on me. different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I remember my
1: freshman year too. I'm with you. I hated that year. <laughs>
0: yeah, you gotta get you gotta start being the windshield and not the bug to smile. <laughs> and so we're at, at some point, right? Yeah, at some point. And I remember that time
1: very clearly. Uh, I guess you got to kind of get to the Dave Schultz level to, to have that smile on your face when somebody scores on you. But certainly your fresh mirror, I don't think we're smiling too much. right? No,
0: no. It's survive in advance, if possible. Yeah. So that's right. I looked at the credentials you had on the international level. And I think, you know, you're such a, a humble, mild mannered guy, like from a distance and probably in real life. But I mean, just you don't carry yourself this way but six-time national freestyle champion, four-time world cup champion, Pan American champion, Olympic silver medalist 1992, 1991 world champion. And it's easy for me to say this cuz you know I accomplished 1/1000th one, one of that, but the world's most technical wrestler award. One of only 3 Americans to ever win that award. You, John Smith, Chris Campbell. To me, whenever I would read about you, that was always the thing that was coolest to me because, you know, my dad's a martial artist. And he always taught the other guy stronger. He pushes you pull, you know, all those kind of things, you know, almost like a Mr. Miyagi approach. And the most technical wrestler award is in my mind, it's got to be like, that's got to be like the coolest thing you could win. So tell me, tell me your thoughts on that, how, you know, how you think that happened and, and. I got to think that's got to have given you confidence going forward just for the rest of your life, not only as an athlete, but to be able to teach the highest level of technique in the world.
1: Yeah. Again, I I do. I think you probably said it right. It's still a humbling thing. I can tell you the year I won that award. I still felt like I was in second grade when I was around Dave Schultz um, when it came to, when it came to technique, you know, cause you're, you know, in order to really be a master, you never stop learning. I remember another very humbling moment when I became the national team coach at, for the, you know, the U.S. Olympic team and walking in, it, it, inner, inner arrogance saying, man, I'm, I'm the coach. I know freestyle wrestling only be, only to be humbled by the fact that I realized, man, I don't know that much and I better get learning it fast or America's not going to win. <laughs> So you, I think in order to really have the mastery of technique, you have to stay in the continual learning mode. Do you ever stop and say, Hey, I know everything because I'm the world's most technical wrestler. That's when you're not. (laughs) That's when you, you fail to become it. So you have to stay in the learning mode. I also have to say the humility of age, you know, that as we get older, you, we forget things, but the beauty is, the supercomputer inside our brains and the amount of technique that we've seen and, and executed ourselves, we may not, our knees may not allow it, but our brain and our eyeballs are pretty good at it. And once you have a good solid team with people that are learning your system and your skill and your technique, uh, that's when I think you can really start to do some great things with your athletes. But, um, you know, to be mentioned alongside, some of the greatest uh, wrestlers technically and tactically. And, you know, I get the benefit of – I'm at the Olympic Training Center right now, right? And right. To stand in the room, there's, I don't know, four or five World Olympic medalists at practice right now and champions. And, um, you know, it's it's humbling, but it also feels good when they look to you and say, what do you think? But at the same time, if you're not looking
0: back saying, hey, how did you do that? Uh,
1: you know, you can only get to a certain level, right? You can only get so good
0: yeah, and the thing that's interesting about interviewing all you guys that are at this level is your normal, what's normal to you is obviously a lot of guys, you know, like dream, you know, like, you know, to be able to talk, you know, to walk in and hang out, you know, when I was at the U.S. Open, you know, I got a chance to hang out with, you know, Randy Couture and Eric Guerrero and Lee Pritz and all these guys on one spot, and they're just all hanging out and to them, it's no big deal, but you know, you, you could sell tickets to something like that. And it's the same thing to what you're saying. When you're in that room, there's so much brain power. There's so much excellence. Uh You know, Andy Hamilton was saying, he was up there covering the training camp and how, you know, the the college affiliations are set aside, you know, that if you see a kid that can do something better, doesn't matter if he wrestles for ASU or not, you know, it's the USA part that comes first. So, I, that, to me, is really fascinating. Um, I saw, you know, that you were an assistant coach at West Virginia, ASU, and Bloomsburg, and I had actually forgotten you were at Bloomsburg. So I know you're a guy, like you said, you're always evolving, always learning, filling the supercomputer, to use your phrase. What did those stops along the way, where did you gather from each of those places to uh, to start preparing yourself to be a head coach at the collegiate level and at USA Wrestling?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think my path, when I look back on it, was the best thing that ever happened to me um, because I've been able to take all those experiences and and group it into one one philosophy now that I can take forward in my final chapter of coaching. Uh, but I think each stop has taught me something. Bloomsburg's Small state school, top ten in the country. Ricky Bonomo and those guys coming through, um, understanding small town atmosphere, big wrestling, Pennsylvania was uh, tremendous. Uh, Going back to Arizona State as an assistant coach after a different view. Uh, Still competing on the national team, working with Leroy Smith, who obviously came out of the legendary family and and learning from him. Um, And now starting a coaching role where I was just an athlete. You know, to then moving on to West Virginia and, and probably being around Craig Terminal was the best thing that ever happened to me from a coach uh, because he had a very cerebral, caring approach to his athletes. Uh, not that Bobby didn't care, but he liked to put the foot in you more than he would like to hug you. And, <laughs> and the, Craig was the,
0: the... The whip versus the hug, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where
1: Craig was really, truly caring Sports psychologist, master's in psychology and counseling, a counseling approach. And I think I took a lot away from that. So just to understand that these are human beings, it's not all about getting your hand raised. Of course, it's important, but it's not everything. And. And I learned a lot from there, and, and met my wife there. Um, and maybe I better say that was the best thing that ever happened.
0: Probably, the, probably uh, good when you come home. Yeah, it's probably, even probably good when I come because I still have her. I don't have turmoil anymore, but I have her. That's
1: right. And it was it was wonderful. And then then from there, going to the Ivy League and ten, understanding that it's not just about winning wrestling matches again, but they are here to get their educations and. Met a, a great network of people at Penn, people that were achieving at the highest level, understanding, you know, intelli- intelligence at the highest level, and and just uh, just a- educational brilliance. That was a lot of fun to be around and learn, and at the same time realize they're just human beings. They put their pants on the same way, even though they have a 35 ACT. You know, they're they're still, <laughs> yeah. you know, they still make mistakes too. And then to, uh, you know, and then to take that to USA wrestling and then having the tremendous honor, but the monstrous responsibility of leading America, you know, into, you know, into the U.S., uh, into international battle. And can you make an impact? Can you move this national monster to complete, compete globally? And, uh, how can you do it? How can you do it fast and effectively? And, uh, you can't fake your way through a U.S. practice. You know, you're dealing with legendary-type athletes who already have competed at the highest level, one at the highest level, and how can you help them? And uh, and uh then, you know, build the community around. It's not just about USA Wrestling winning gold medals, but, you know, we have legends that are still connected to the program, Bumgarners, right, and John Smith and Kenny Mondays and Kevin Jacksons, who Kendall Crosses that care about the program, uh, you know, getting a coach, Kale Sanderson, on a seven-year comeback was a lot of fun. Watching Burroughs help him come from nowhere to, to win a gold medal right out of the gate. Uh Those those experiences were excellent. And, um you know, just I learned a lot on that job because I learned what the world was doing in detail. I know where all the best training locations in the world are. I know where all the best tournaments are. I know what those Russians are thinking. I know how they work together. I don't know who they don't like i know who they like i know what they value you wouldn't get that unless you're coaching the national team daily and then just to take it all back right take it all back to to asu and roll it up in one big box and you know put a bow tie on it and just say okay here's all these experiences we can combine into something very special um and so you know now I get to enjoy any rebuilding, you know, now it wasn't rebuild and leave, but now, you know, this is my third and final time at ASU and my wife and I love the weather. And when Ray Anderson's ready to move on and get another coach, uh, that's great. I'm going to go sit at my pool and retire and enjoy <laughs> Phoenix and, and play a little golf and, and root on the football and help the new wrestling coach when he's ready. So I just, it's been a fantastic experience in my coaching career.
0: You covered so much, so there's a few things you know that I was mentally and physically jotting notes down. Bloomsburg, you know, again, I'm an older guy. The Bonomo brothers, you know, and Ricky and Rocky. I, I, it, it should have made sense to me that you were there when, and Ricky was a three-time national champion back when it was what 118 pounds. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And he was. He just had to have been a hammer to work with and coach. I must have been. You know, really, really special. Was was that the first uh, three timer that you were involved with on in the coaching level?
1: I just, I just got there when he graduated. Okay, so right. I, I got there. He graduated. Moved around the program a little bit. You know, him and Rock. Yeah. You know, were great here around the program a little bit, and um, you know, there were. That's what drew me there was the tremendous amount of success they had. Right, uh, top ten and really my two best years were the one year I won the world and was second in the Olympics. I was in Bloomsburg. And so there were great training partners, Rose uh, Ranella and Rosansky were training there at the time. And of course, you know, Dave had come through and I mean, they just really had a lot of good guys in the room or were just graduating. And the momentum of the program had continued and Tom uh, Roger uh, was there coaching, but then you still had Tom Artucci and, they were just doing fantastic things. They really
0: were. Yeah. I, I think your comments about Craig, Craig Turnbull are really interesting to me, too. You know, he's a guy that's not in the D1 coaching scene anymore, but that, you know, there's, there's honey and vinegar. There's more than one way to get the job done. And, you know, every coach has to find their sort of own balance. And, you know, if you're a, a good coach and you pay attention to your kids, you know which one needs a swift kick in the butt and which one will respond better to putting your arm around them, I think – it must have been great, like you said, to be around two guys like him and Coach Douglas that are legends but do it differently. And, you know, the Ivy League thing is interesting. I actually was recruited up there when Roger Reyna, who's now back, was the coach. Um, So, yeah, and, you know, for for a guy that had the grades to get in, let me tell you, we still do plenty of dumb things. We just fill in the the dots well. So Um, (laughs) um, I really wanted to – I've, I've just some really a couple thoughts on as the head coach of USA Wrestling, which I think if you've ever coached, that's kind of got to be the ultimate job. You know, like, you know, if you really think about it, like, well, I want my team to win a national title. OK, but then here's the here's the guy who runs the play, the program where everybody sends their best guys. And one of the things that, you know, to me, wrestling is really an individual sport where they keep team score you know, it's not football where you're a great quarterback, but if I don't protect your blind side, you're going to get smashed. How was it like to deal with all the different egos and mindsets? And, and what did you have to learn to keep everyone happy and get the best out of those guys?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's probably like, again, coaching any level, you got to be compassionate, but firm that, uh, you are dealing with some giants, you know, you got John and Kale and Tom and, uh, you know, and, and more, right? I mean, yeah. you just have tremendous coaches who have done it different ways. And to get them to, one, say, hey, what you've done, the work you've done with your athletes, we, we don't want to change that. We only want to enhance it with the knowledge that I get the privilege of seeing every day because I'm all over the world. And so – you know, you're doing a great job with your guy there. Now all I want to do is take, hey, here's everything I've learned globally. And, you know, Brent needs a little bit of that. Jordan needs a little bit of that. Barner needs a little bit of that. And, um, and hey, by the way, here's the trick move that you spec is doing, and you just don't get to see it because you're, you're at the Iowa State duel. I'm in Russia watching this guy, and they got a new kid coming up, and we got to be ready for him. So um it can be that it's also you know convincing them in some ways that um, you know you better evolve too and sometimes it's easy to just get set in your ways and say, Man, I've won twenty years this way. Right. Well, the world is changing. And sometimes I had to convince them, and ninety percent of what ninety-nine percent of what you're doing is great. This one percent you can stay hung up on it, but it's going to get you burned because you you you've got to evolve, too. Uh, but you got to be compassionate, I think, as long as they know that you're truly trying to help them in their programs. Because I think we've all learned if you're if you're helping Iowa, you're against Oklahoma State. And that's not true. I'm over helping Iowa today, and tomorrow I'm over at helping Oklahoma State. The next day I'm helping Penn State. I just can't be in two places the same day. Yeah, so, and next week it's Nebraska.
0: As,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. As long as you're helping everyone and everyone knowing that you're doing, you're you're attempting to do that, uh, then I think we had, I really thought that would be the hardest part of the job that would get me the fastest was just the political monster of it all. But really that part ended up being a strength for me and just in terms of I really had good relationships with the coaches. I think they felt that I I really was committed to what they were doing. And I put my time, you know, hey, I'm not going to be, I'm not sending you to Russia for two weeks and I'm only going to fly over for two days. When you go for two weeks, I'm going for two weeks. When you're in the dorm, I'm in the dorm. When you travel 40 days, I travel 40 days. And so I wasn't asking them to do something I wasn't doing myself and it got a lot easier. And we raised quite a bit of money. That was probably the main thing that USA Wrestling and I should say the national team really needed. It didn't need me to teach Jordan Burroughs a double leg. He already knew double leg. What he needed, what he needed was instead of the budget only sending him to Iran three days early because all the money we had was to get him over three days early. I could send him over eight days early, nine days early, get him a better seat and not let him do three legs of travel in a 10 hour layover. That's what's killing him from performing. And so a little bit of it was just getting some money in the door to help the athletes have their accommodations be a little bit better. Of course, is it technical? Is it tactical? Sure. But sometimes it's just a function of money, too. And we made sure that those guys weren't struggling. They all got raises. The first thing I did the first year I got there, everyone got a raise. But in return, I said, everyone's getting a raise, but we're also going to expect more. And they were great about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you set the bar higher and, and, you know, really good people will raise their level to that. I mean, whether it's in wrestling or in business, um, one of the things that I would think, you know, I hate using the word politics, but it sounds like you're you you're politically astute that you were able to say to the John Smiths, Cale Sanderson's, Mark Manning's, Tom Brands. I don't mean to exclude anybody, but, you know, the Lou Rosselli's, all these guys that are coaching the best guys hey, 99% is great, like you said, here's a trick move this guy does, like basically really just showing how you're adding value and not trying to take things over, how does that translate to being in the corner? Because, like, to me at the Olympics, I thought, you know, and I probably, I don't know if I should say this, but I thought Jaden Cox should have had Mike Ironman in his corner. That's a kid, the guy has been coaching him since he's a kid. And, you know, everybody else had their guy. So and you have two coaches and you you come over and you have 30 seconds and I have something to say to, you know, I'm Mark Manning talking to Jordan Burroughs and you're Zeke Jones. You're the Olympic or national team coach. How how does that do you guys work that out ahead of time? Does you know, do you just both say what you need to say and hope he can process that in 25 seconds? How does that get done? So the best, most effective message gets to the wrestler.
1: Yeah, that's not easy. I mean, that's I, I that's one of the harder so, yeah. parts of the, one of the harder parts of the job is uh, you know ultimately coaches love coaching and they want to be able to help athletes their own particularly and um balance you know the I think that's probably the, one of the things I keyed in on the most is the relationship with the personal coach and the athlete again part of in the fundraising. Again, the money part is really important. In the past, there was no money for personal coaches. So the first thing I did was raise money and said, hey, personal coaches, here's the deal. Not only you don't have to pay your way, we're going to pay for everything for you to come. And they were like, what? You know, they (laughs) had to raise their own money and get their own money. That's not when I was coaching. We paid for all our personal coaches to come. And so that immediately made the relationship much more positive. And talking to both personal, it wasn't. Hey, I just want to meet with the athlete. I don't need the personal coach. I always invited the personal coach and the athlete. It was much better because, as you know, being the national coach, I required the guys a hundred days out of the year to work with the national team and me and the national team staff, whoever it was. The other 250 days they're working at home, right? So how could you disclude the 250 days? Those are just two, those more days and important days. That the personal coach needed to be able to share with me, hey, where are you with your guy? Okay, that's good for me to know. You know, has he been working in these areas? Are great. What have you guys been working on? New. Yeah. And so being able to to really triangle in the personal coach, I think there was a a much higher level of trust with the personal coaches. So Kale having somebody on the team, John having somebody on the team. I was, you know, we were paying for them to come, and then I was always including them in everything, and then saying, "Hey, you tell me what you think we need to do with your athlete." And I think that was probably one of the biggest things where the guy said, "Ooh, this is really good." You know, just it was an in, it was a increase in service to them, and and just in 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 funding, so that made them happy. And so, good, you know, you just I no just you. you including them matters. Now, when you're doing corner assignments, that becomes the difficulty. I usually, my way I did it is one personal coach, one national team coach. That's how I did it. Right. Uh, and that was 99% of the time. I can't think of where we never not did it. Sure. But um, I just leave in that room for one guy calling hey, me, your interview. what are you talking about? You had two national <laughs> team coaches. One. But I can't remember in any situation where we didn't have either a national team coach uh, or two of those are two personal coaches. We always had one of each. And again, I think the expectation was that I think the athlete was like, good, I got my guy who works with me and the national team. One of the national team coaches that works at the freestyle level at the highest level. And then just building the relationships with those guys was key.
0: I think the very, all of it's really interesting. The very last sentence you said, I think would be the one that would diffuse the most, uh, conflict. You know, if, you know, if that coach, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm coaching, uh, you know, let's say I'm Derek Fix and, you know, I'm coaching Dayton Fix and you're the guy next to me that, especially in that relationship, it's a father son, you know, that in those 30 seconds that, you know, we're not going to shout over the top of each other, that it's going to be constructive. You know, that seems like it would be really critical. So um, I'm going to switch gears on you. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about recruiting. Um, you and I had a very interesting conversation and, and I'm going to bug you next week because you told me about an email that I want to get from you, but. When you judge talent, you know, now that you're recruiting, and I think that's got to be a big difference, right? You know, USA Wrestling, they, the best guys come to you. Now you got to go get the best guys. What are some specific things that you're looking for, and what are some things you're, you know, that are, besides the obvious stuff, you know, what are some red flags that, you know, you, you're like, well, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to kind of take a pass on this kid?
1: Yeah, I would say probably. At, you know, your talk, sorry about that, I'm in a hotel room, I'm getting a call. Um, I would say that the, probably the most, um, you know, important thing is, you know, there's a lot of results, right? You can read brackets until you're blue in the face. Right. Uh, you know, is really, I think your best recruiting is done by word of mouth. I think that, um, you know, getting a call from somebody that I know and respect and and and, and have known for a long time, Saying hey, I got a kid. You should take a look at him. Uh, high character guy, which of course you know, I, I really believe the defining marker of success character. Those that like to work hard, dedicated, disciplined, loyal, trustworthy. Um, you know that that's probably more important than than talent. Of course, talent matters. You got to be in the ballpark of it. Sure. But you can you can certainly win not being you know a thoroughbred, and we've seen that before. But um, You know, I think, you know, vetting them profusely, I read all their social media up and down all their social media. And maybe the one thing kids don't realize is the college coaches are watching their (laughs) social media closely, as you know, I know.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: You know, I I, it was funny when I left the U.S. job and, and came to Arizona State. And I had no, I always joked, I knew where the Russian and Bulgarian kids were, but I didn't know where our our USA wrestling or U.S. wrestlers were. And what I found was that the kids that have wrestled for me in the past started calling me. And then, and I, I, I can say one coach and kids, because it's not against the rules to say it publicly, but Matt Levy coaching at Franklin Regionals called my phone every day for three days when I first got the job and I picked him up on the third day and said, Matt, sorry, I just, man, I got a new job. And he goes, I know. And I got four of the best kids in the country in my room.
0: (laughs) And I said,
1: oh, Oh. and then then I started, you know, reading down the social or the uh, wrestling websites and say, oh, their names. And I think it, I think it cuts through recruiting, you know, Josh Shields and Josh Baruka were wrestling at Arizona State that. Matt Leedy was a American at West Virginia for a um, time and now is the head coach at Franklin Regional and he sent two of his wrestlers to me. They're second generation and as you know and I know that kind of cuts to recruiting. If your first generation of kid is sending his second generation to you, what's that say? He trusts and believes that you'll take care of him and treat him right just like you did him and So I think that's why we're attracting quite a few second-generation kids into our program. But I also think it for me, it's a lot easier too because, you know, the language really is the same, right? Because what we taught Matt Levy, you know, he's teaching a lot of the same things that you know we passed down from who taught me, and so uh, it's been a pretty seamless transition with them. And and those two have had a had tremendously successful freshman years and. And I think it's, you know, recruiting, as you know, it's, um, you know, we, we're looking for the whole package. Uh, I think we're in a great spot here on the state. We're kind of getting to pick in the first group with the best teams in the country. And, and so we want, you know, good people with good character, want to work hard, like to love the sport of wrestling, want to do it in the classroom. And okay, they can make mistakes. I mean, good kids make mistakes. It's part of the thing, but good kids don't keep repeating them either, do they? They, you know, they figure out that they got to keep learning and evolving just like us as adults. And, that's kind of it in a nutshell, I guess.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and speaking of recruiting, you know, when you came to ASU, weeks later, you guys signed the nation's number one recruiting class. You know, how instrumental were the coaches already on staff in making that happen? And what was it like to jump, you know, right into the highest level recruiting wars right out of the gate?
1: Well, we got lucky. You know, when Anthony and Zaheed committed within three weeks of getting there, and it was really just me and Chris. It was it. And even then Lee said, Hey, let's go on the road for four weeks together, get to know each other. And, you know, if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know, certainly we can, you know, look a different direction. You can too. And, you know, we were nailing top recruits right out of the gate. So it was pretty easy for Chris and I to say, Oh yeah, this works good together. <laughs> you and I are good together. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Yeah. But, you know, Anthony and Zahid, we didn't have anything that we could sell them like a Penn State, right, or a Oklahoma State, which both offered them full rides to, to be able to go there. And, you know, I, I call those guys the first believers. You know, they were the first yeah. ones to believe that Arizona State could be successful when the program was 61st in the country the year before. So uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect. And, uh, you know, I in my mind, I protect those two you know, strongly because they took that leap of faith when they didn't have to. And then from there, we got very fortunate. The ball started a roll. Tanner Hall came, then Chris Pendleton came, you know, and then, you know, the Maruka Shields, and then it just snowballed. And then after that, it got a lot easier because it, you know, the president of the university who was a wrestler, Dr. Crow, President Crow, along with Ray Anderson and uh, my immediate one of I have two immediate supervisors, Scotty Graham, who wrestled uh, in high school, with my boss. I mean, we're vertically aligned with wrestling within our university, and even the governor of Arizona's two sons grew up in our wrestling room for a period of time. So that's awesome. You, have an, you just have a tremendous wrestling culture right now around the program and leadership positions uh, because they understand the sport and what it does for people. So you know, we were able to to get the ball rolling faster than you know we thought and we've been very fortunate
0: well it's, it's interesting I know you know this that you know coach Pritz and I are are you know more than casual acquaintances and when uh when you came on you know he you know I know he had sunk some work into some of those top guys you're talking about and his description of the trip is very similar to yours, except. You know, yours is like, well, we can go in different directions. His description was, if I screw this up, I'll be looking for a new job. So. <laughs> yeah, I think his stress level probably was a little higher. <laughs> he knew who was the hammer and who was the nail. <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: but, yeah. You know, I mean, he, he, he knew all the people. He had all the relationships. I had none. None that I could remember right away. You know, i have been seven years with an Ash, six years sure. with a national team. But he was right out of the gate. Rocking and rolling, he knew all the people, parents, coaches, kids. Yeah, you know who to look, where to look, the people that influence the kids, and it it mattered. It was big for us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that kind of leads to my next question. You know, a lot of the schools around the country have coaching staffs made up of of homegrown guys. You know, like uh Iowa and Oklahoma State. And, you know, Iowa State's kind of doing, you know, Iowa over there. North Carolina's got a bunch of Oklahoma State guys. Your staff is really diverse. You know, Lee's been everywhere. You know, Pendleton's an Oklahoma State guy. And Garcia's, you know, a Cuban who represented Canada in the Olympics. How is having such a diverse staff a benefit to you as a head coach and, and to your guys? Well, I would
1: say that, you know, um universities by nature are diverse um i I think you know sometimes universities pride themselves on who they can exclude, how exclusive they are sure Arizona state in our model, our university, my president says not who we can exclude but who we can include, and meaning not that they'll accept anyone. there is an academic floor to any university and as ASU increasingly improves its academic model, I think that's been great for us. But I think you can look at our roster. We do truly recruit nationally mm-hmm. uh in all different walks of lives and people. And I always, you know, I pick on Tom Brand sometimes a little bit and, you know, wrestle like Iowa. And I, and I tell Tom, he's my friend, uh you, you know, you go to Iowa, you know what you're going to be like. When you come to Arizona State, uh, I think that's the value being the national coach. I couldn't make Jake Varner Jordan Burroughs. I was never going to do that. The goal was to make each one of them better in their own way. So when someone comes to Arizona State, one of the advantages I share with our kids is that, you know, I'm not going to change what you do. We're going to take what you do and make it better. And that's just my experience with a national team coach. The diversity is the same thing, that we – you know Ali is Muslim, you know Tanner Hall is a Mormon, <laughs> and we have plenty of Christians on our team and And I tell you, how are you going to learn if everybody's like me, how's everybody going to learn from each other for all the same? Learning occurs by different opinions, beliefs, morals, cultures. And so when I actually like the differences in people, because I know I'm going to hear something different today. Uh, because they're different, their viewpoint may be different than mine. The common glue to the team is that we have the same goal in mind. Doesn't matter what the walk of life you come from, you could be rich, poor, black, or white, mm-hmm. but I know you want to be the best in the country and you want to be the best in the world. And everybody on the team has that goal and that's what will allow us to have moral views that could be different, ethical views that are different. But that doesn't matter. We both want to double leg people on their heads, right? So, sure. <laughs> you know that's the beauty. I think that comes to the team. If you truly want to learn, you need to learn from people that are different than you, but have the same goal as you. And I think that's what—that's the uniqueness of Arizona State. I think that's what attracts people to our program.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Two last questions for you, Coach. You—you you guys have a team that I think many of us think is poised to make a huge leap this year. And you know, one of the questions I think we all have is what weight your guys will end up at. I'm not going to ask you what's going to what you're going to do, but what is the process you and your staff go through in making those decisions? And you know, how how difficult is it to you know do you second guess yourself? Uh, you know, you know, because you've got a lot of options there, obviously. So you know, it's again obviously a different struggle than coaching the national team where you know, guys aren't going to move up and down the weight nearly as often. So what has that process been like for you, you know, ever since March when you've, you know, you knew you were facing these decisions?
1: Yeah, it's really been mostly hands-off, believe it or not. Really? Um, after Yeah, after the NCAA tournament, I think you got to allow them to let their bodies do what they're going to do, let them grow. If anybody's going to grow, do it now, you know, (laughs) where,
0: you know. Get it done with so we know,
1: yeah. Yeah, so we know. We didn't do it. We didn't do any. They wrestled any weight they wanted in the freestyle, nationals, UWW juniors, universities. They went with whatever weight they wanted. Uh, Then they they went home for a few weeks, and then they came back for summer school. And we did our first weight check a couple weeks ago just to get a sense of what we're looking like. Did anybody grow an inch? Did anybody's muscle or you know bone density change? You know, we we biopod them, to dexa scan them, to skin fold them to see what growth is occurring. And then, really now, because we still have you know till November, you know, fourteen weeks to make some impact. I don't. I don't know that we have to say, wow, we got a 57 pounder. We got to put 40 pounds on him to get him to 84. I think you'd have to start in March. But I think right, I think right now we're in a place where I usually let the guys work it out themselves because they're not stupid. They're smart (laughs) they know what they're doing. So they kind of look up above them and below them and they say, "Eh, I think I'm probably best here. But I also know that, um, I can start to observe their behavior and say, oh, he's trying to go up, he's trying to go down. And if I think it's detrimental, that's probably when I'd pull him over and say, hey, what are you doing? You look like you're you're going into a weight that doesn't make any sense. But, as you know, and I know kids are trying to find their way in the lineup, and, and it generally right. does make sense. Uh, we've got Belche and Northleaf that have started in the program, and that's really helping us at eighty We've got a really big announcement coming soon. Can't say it. Uh, due to the rules that's going to really help us but i think the couple holes that we needed to patch have been patched by pretty darn good guys so that's man it just makes us all feel good in tempe but um right now to tell you who's going up or down i really don't know i'm still observing their size and their behavior and that and that's it's really not a dodge of the question. I, think, no, no. It's, yeah, I yeah. think they're kind of figuring out where they're headed, too. But I can tell you this. I didn't see anybody that jumped up 40 pounds, you know, nobody that grew three inches. Right. So to me, I'd say we're going to have very little change because I don't see anybody that had any large growth first
0: Yeah. I, I, I knew we wouldn't be breaking news on that. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. So, yeah, it's no, it's yeah. good. <laughs> So my last question is, you know, based on your level, you know, your intimate level of the program, what do you think about the men's freestyle team at the junior and senior levels? What success do you anticipate them having? And what do you think the health of USA Wrestling is going forward?
1: Yeah, I think there, right now there's a good transition of guys that have had quite a bit of success at the junior and senior level. Um I think the result of many years of effort at the cadet and junior level has now created a great junior and senior team um, that, we're, you know, just, again, not the double leg sometimes, but the dollars you put in. We've made a a shifted um, increase in money at the younger level, and I think it's starting to pay off. Um, You know, I'm not a prediction guy, so I don't know who's going to win medals and who's not. Uh, but I can tell you, I do think you got a pretty darn good junior team and you got a pretty darn good senior team. And that's not smoke. Um, I, I think you really do. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. I always told Brent Metcalf, hey, there's 10 of you over in Russia. So don't make any mistake that this is you walk in and win the gold. You've got to do the work. And you got to improve and get better. And I think this group, although very talented, you know, does this say somebody's a lock? Burrows is not a lock. Can he win? Absolutely. Uh but he's gotta continue to develop and grow. Kyle is not a lock, but certainly is he the best guy in the world? Yeah. Is he gonna be the best guy in the world on that day? I believe so, but it's not an automatic and just gets handed to him, right?
0: So sure. they gotta do the work.
1: Uh hopefully Cox is healthy, gets healthy. You know, I think that you know, that's kinda happening as it goes. There's time. Uh, but your junior team's up in two weeks. You know, heat wrestles in 14 days. So, uh, you know, we're just hearing Cal Springs helping him get ready. And, uh, you know, he wrestled Mark all the day. I heard you back earlier, you know, the uh, how guys are at the U.S. level. You know, it's not Iowa and Penn State because it's not. Right now it's the U.S. And, you know, guys like Mark and Pete are helping each other get better. They both want to be the best in the world this weekend or two weekends from now.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And um, your perspective on all this is awesome, Coach. Uh, you know, I got a chance to sit, and it was a long time ago. I'm sure you don't remember. It's by the 2012 Olympic trials I got to sit with you and Coach Guerrero and Coach Smith and Coach Douglas. And um, I was just a fly on the wall soaking it all up to listen to guys like you. So uh, I really appreciate you taking time for me today, and it means a lot to me. And I just want to wish you know you and, and Coach Pritz and and Chris and and Hayes and all of you guys the best of luck this fall and and you know in March and everything else.
1: Nah, I appreciate it and, and uh, appreciate you having me on. Excited to uh, see all the stuff that you guys are doing and uh,
0: glad that I could help. I appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen. One of the three Americans to ever be named the world's most technical wrestler and the head coach of Arizona State, Zeke Jones. This is David Maricatani with Matt Chat. We'll speak to you next week. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.